Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Manuel Bruschi, founder and CEO of Tabular. We are making something that many people find very annoying, way more simple, way more fun. That's the obvious benefit they get. But then when people actually start to track their time immediately and more in detail, they actually see where their time is really going. Because the funny thing about time, it's our perception of time is distorted by our emotions. Something which feels very fun, like one hour of fun feels like five minutes and one hour of something boring feels like five hours. And that's why we always think that, yeah, the nice things don't take as much time as we think. And the boring things take way more time than we think. This is Manuel. He's a former web developer that has been recognized as a Forbes 30 under 30, a TED speaker, and also a former Austrian national champion in rugby sevens. He's passionate about the most important resource for a life worth living, time. And that's why he co-founded Timeuler in 2015. Timeuler is a B2B SaaS business that empowers people to track their job routines to then analyze and design better ones. It's on a mission to help 10 million people around the world to live a more healthy and rewarding work life. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Manuel to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the current market for timesheet applications. Why no matter how simple we make these apps, people still won't use them. And then he shares how we found the simplest possible solution to the problem, a handshake with your time. We then drill into the journey to take this from an idea into reality and what hurdles we had to overcome to create momentum and keep that momentum. And last but not least, he shares how he has shaped his organization to be customer obsessed in everything they do in order to build products that customers cannot live without. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why not only focusing on business value, but also on user value will help you create momentum. Secondly, that a product is only worth developing if people are prepared to pay a premium for it. Thirdly, that is not only about creating launch momentum, but also about securing long-term retention. And fourthly, you will learn about the value in obtaining a frugal mindset to build a product that people want to use the entire day. Well, hi, Manuel. Thank you for making the time today in your busy schedule and be a guest on my podcast. Yeah, hi, Ton. Thank you for having me, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, the same is true on my end. And yeah, for people that know me better, they likely understand why, because your company is all about tracking time and people. Mm. And in my previous life, I've been responsible for a number of solutions in that category, and I know how hard it is to do, first of all, 
the tracking is one thing, but then make people happy with it is a completely different thing. So when I saw your message on the website, it really triggered me. So that's what we're going to explore today. Like what's the journey since 2016, since you founded the company? Before we start, a little bit, if you would describe yourself in two or three words, what's characterizing you as a person or as an entrepreneur? A calm, ambitious person. Yeah. If I can just use three words, then that's it. So I'm very ambitious, but I'm always calm. Like no matter what's happening around me, if everything goes south, I always have the persistence, the calmness to follow through and find a way out. Very good. Characteristics are a trait to have. Because I know a couple of people that do exactly the opposite. And it makes things worse. <laughs> so you started your company, Timular, in 2016. Yes. You were the founder of it. What I'm always interested in is, like, what did you see in the market mm-hmm. that was crying or screaming for a solution? Because timesheet applications, if I just kind of yeah. put it into one category, it's not exactly a market that is unexplored. No, and that's completely true. And we were actually two founders and our insight back then was like, I was working as a freelancer for multiple mm-hmm. clients and I was tracking my time and I was always super much into time management productivity. And I tried, I think, out every of those solutions that you just think of that are in this crowded timesheet market. And I was like, damn, even the most simple one, I'm not using them. Even just a simple button, start and stop, is not good enough for me to track time immediately. And then I'm losing money because I'm not tracking the hours and then I can't build them. I was like, I need something more simple than that. And my insight was like, well, the apps, it's like already too much friction to go to an app, open it, like on every context switch, you would have to do that and remember that. And I was like, no, we need something right there with one simple action that I can do every time that even reminds me to actually do it. And this is where the idea for the physical device came up. Where you okay. have, yeah, yeah. Where you have the that. eight sites and you just flip it to the current project you're working on. And then it sends the signal to the software, which starts yeah. tracking what's on the top of the cube. Since this is an audio podcast only, describe a little bit what you just showed. Because yeah. you sort of showed a cube or... Yeah, it looks like a diamond. It has eight sides. It's a cube with eight sides. So it's an octahedron. And you can assign an activity project or anything to every side of it. And then when you start working on that thing, you just flip the dice to that side and via Bluetooth, it sends a signal to the computer or to the mobile phone, and then it starts tracking that project or activity. And so this basically this gesture or this action of tracking your time becomes really just a simple gesture. It's basically a handshake with your time because you're touching something, you're flipping it, you're committing to it, and you start tracking it. Fascinating. I mean, everybody is always looking for it in a user interface. (laughs) And this is indeed, this is so visible. It's on your table. It's right in front of you. And indeed, it's like a simple switch. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you see that the best solution at the end is not one or the other, but it's a combination of two things together that makes it fascinating. Yes. And in our case, it's the combination of the physical and digital world which some people really love because they say like, well, it's the first thing that makes time tangible. It is. Yeah. It's in your hand. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And now it's really in your hand. (laughs) Well, I mean, on your website, you have a couple of bold promises, you know, create more value for yourself and for the people around you lead a more rewarding life. You're on a mission to give everybody a rewarding job. 
What are your customers saying? What, what was the first reaction when you started kind of bringing this to market and, and customers started to see this? Is this becoming a reality for them? Well, yes, it is. Because first of all, the obvious thing is like we are making something that many people find very annoying, way more simple, way more fun. That's the obvious benefit they get. But then when people actually start to track their time immediately and more in detail, they actually see where their time is really going. Because the funny thing about time, it's our perception of time is distorted by our emotions. Something which feels very fun, like one hour of fun feels like five minutes and one hour of something boring feels like five hours. And that's why we always think that, yeah, the nice things don't take as much time as we think. And the boring things take way more time than we think. And so by tracking it, you actually really start seeing how much things take for real. And then you suddenly realize, oh, actually that fun part takes way more time than I thought of. And maybe it's something I should be improving. It's something I should be delegating. Or something else that we have seen is like many times employees have a hard time explaining their managers why they can't get everything done or why they need more people on the team. And by tracking their time very accurately, they really have facts they can show and yeah. make a case for hiring more people or shifting priorities or similar things, which makes then their life more rewarding. Yeah, makes total sense. And indeed, I struggle with that sometimes myself, you know. You <laughs> gave a couple of good examples of things that you like just fly by. Yeah. And sometimes the things that are not that valuable to work on seem like they are okay to do it. And that's not a lot of time that you're looking at different things, but at the end, yeah. they consume a lot. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. So what is the opportunity if you get this right? If the world starts using your device or your Octo? Yeah, the Timeler device. Okay, the Timeler device. Yeah. Well, since we started the company, because this is the product we started the company with, we have actually evolved quite a lot. So right now we see many, many people just using the software, so not using the tracker anymore or okay. purely the tracker. So they just use the software because we have figured out ways how to make tracking experience almost as simple with the tracker, just with software. Okay. And we are as well evolving the software to not just allowing you to track things, but as well to understand where your time is going better in more detail and as well to improve things, to set goals. So it has evolved quite a bit and it's still evolving. So what we are now focusing on as well as the companies, because what we realized along the way is just the data alone doesn't help people. They need as well the knowledge. And as well, tools to then actually improve. So we are working on tools that will help you to find more focus time and knowledge that helps you to find more focus time. And if we get this right, like billions of people go to work every day. We obviously can't help all billions of people out there. We focus on the knowledge workers, which is more or less 1 billion in the world. That's enough. And that's already enough. And our ambition is to help at least 10 million of those 1 billion people to live a more healthy and rewarding work life. And yeah, achieving that and helping 10 million people would already be very nice yeah. for us. Yeah, that's a remarkable mission to be on. And then to pick one kind of application type to be your, your stepping stone and that being timesheet applications is remarkable in another way because you wouldn't think about it. Normally when people think about Here's an application to give you a more rewarding life. They won't think of that. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. but you can't improve what you don't measure. No, exactly. Um, That's true. And 
Unfortunately, it's the reality and it's, I don't want to be like lying, but it's a lot of work too, like tracking your time. It's a lot of work for everyone who followed through. It paid off because everyone had some insights that were new that led to surprising changes and it made their life better. And I think that's as well what differentiates us from other timesheet solution because most timesheet solutions are focused on selling a benefit for the company, which yeah, is like, true. yeah, you will have your timesheet compliance done. You will bill more hours. You will be, and it makes sense because the company is paying for it. But the ones that are actually providing the data, the current timesheet solutions are not selling a value to them. And I think it's important that those people get the value out of it too. So, because why should they bother? True. And I think it also helps with, uh, it's like the carrot and the stick, you know, I yeah. get something from this as well. And as a consequence, I'm using it more, using yeah. it accurately. So we are really focused on creating this win-win situation. So creating benefit for the company and the user who is providing the data. Let me make a small interruption here. Manuel just made a critical remark about their secret to create momentum. Not just by creating a solution that's aimed to create a shift in value for the business, but even more about creating a win-win situation whereby they can spark a grassroots movement amongst users. Their users are the ones that would truly miss it if you take the solution away from them. And this is a trait remarkable software companies master. They focus on creating something valuable and desirable. It is in that combination where the magic hides. And you can master these traits as well. And I've got various options for you to start. First, just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software business. And secondly, as you're there anyway, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. And so... Yeah, yeah that was always... If I go back to my history with timesheet applications and... It was always the challenge, like, how do you get people to, first of all, do their timesheet, do it accurately, yeah. do it on time, because these, yeah. these components really mess things up. Yeah, People hate doing it. As a consequence, they push it towards the end of the week. At the end of the week, there's something else happening. They do it the week after. They forget what they've done. They end up with errors in their timesheets. That yeah. ends up with errors in the invoice. The invoice is not paid. Cash flow problems. There's yeah. a whole range of things coming from there. Yeah, yeah, there, there are many just things going on from there. Yeah. Exactly. So interesting. Yeah, how did you embark on the idea? I mean, to go that particular route, what sparked it? I was sitting in an office Friday night at my desk. Again, I was there and was like, shit, I have not written down my hours for this week. I'm go. certainly going to lose money again because, yeah, I can't remember everything I did. And why are our solutions not working? And I was like, maybe I just need like a big punch button, which I just punch when I'm like clocking in. But obviously I need something more sophisticated than that. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe it was my childhood playing Lego all the time who led to this fact of having something physical that I can touch and turn. Yeah, it's funny how these ideas come, but sometimes the most simple ideas become remarkable in terms yeah. of the value that they can create. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And then what I did was I built a prototype over a weekend, very scrappy prototype. I showed it to a few people who I knew are tracking time and they hate it. And everyone was like, 
I need this, I need this. And I was like, yeah, don't shoulder type me. Like, would you give me money for it? Like 50 bucks. They were like, yeah, maybe 30. I was like, okay, that's for me confirmation enough. Like they would pay for it. And I'm going to make this as great that you would give me 50. I mean, I wrote a book about this. What are the 10 traits that define a remarkable software business? And one thing at the end is, is then that's trait number 10, they surprise. Yeah. And when you see the thing that you've created, it's memorable, you know, it surprises people. Yeah. And it becomes almost something that you want, you know? Yeah. Because, because it is so different. Yeah. And everyone wants shiny, nice gadgets. Exactly. And yeah. That's true. Yeah. And they start showing it to others as well. And like, guess, come and see what I got. So, <laughs> so sure. talking about that, is there a virality factor to this? Yes. Although now with fewer people working in the office, it's not happening that effectively anymore, but people show it off as well on Twitter. Like they share because you can customize the device and it's actually stunning, like how much effort they put in to customize their device. And some are really creating a piece of art. We have shared that on our Instagram account. It's amazing. Nice. Yeah. It's exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah. That effect that people start talking about it on behalf of you. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to 2016 till now, five years down the road. You've been on a journey to first of all develop it, first prototype. So, like you of course came up with the device idea and then the software around it, which is something, of course, that's already radically different. Were there any things that you said no to? I mean, Steve Jobs' famous remark was always innovation is not about what you do, but about what you not do. How did you yeah, focus your innovation power on what makes the difference? Yeah, I think. We said no to many features in the software. So, and as well on the device, because when I was showing this to people, they were like, yeah, could you make it blink? Could you make it have some sounds or some vibration? Or could you make it 20 sided? Or then in the software as well, like, can you add this feature and the other feature? And can I have 10 colors for the cube? Like, we said no to many things. Yeah. And ultimately, it paid off because. Yeah, you could say yes to so many things, but at the end of the day, it matters that people can get their jobs done and the majority of it can get their jobs done. And it really allowed us to create a product which works for many, because I think that's as well something that in the timesheet market happens, like companies start saying yes to everything, like solutions, and then they become very niche, which can be good as well. But if you want to create something which works for many people, you have to say no to many things. So the product stays simple enough so everyone can use it. Yeah, and that's the problem at the end because they say yes to a lot of things and then say, okay, we can actually deal with so many use cases, but none of the use cases are really good. You end up creating a product which in theory works for everyone, but in reality yeah. works for no one. Exactly. Can you give an example of something that's, oh, you gave examples around the number of, of sites, <laughs> sites, and the colors. Yeah. Like, the obvious thing is always people ask for colors. Like, can I have it blue? Can I have it red? Like, can you make a blue dice, red dice? Can you have a wooden dice? We could have done all of those things, but one learning with hardware is keep it as simple as possible yeah. because the whole logistics and production around it becomes very messy and the complexity grows exponentially. And so you want yeah. to keep the hardware as simple as possible. Exactly. That's what we did. Yeah. In that journey, what was the hardest nut to crack to grow your user adoption or to change behavior of people? There are two things there. One is certainly always like getting people into the habit because of tracking time. Because the selling point is pretty engaging for everyone. Like you can have a more health and rewarding work life just by tracking your time. And everyone is like, 
it's almost like losing weight. Everyone wants to lose weight and everyone signs up for the gym, but then actually going to the gym, that's the hard part. And that's obviously a challenge for us too. And we have made it very simple. We have made it very engaging. But another, I think, more tangible lesson learned was the difference of a hardware business and a software business is software, you just write a prototype, you give it to people. If it doesn't work, like you fix it, you ship the new version like right away. You can iterate super, super quickly. Yeah, With hardware, you can't. Like you have to create a version, then give it to, like you can create a few prototypes, but then really you cannot test things at scale and you cannot move as fast at scale for us. And you need capital. You need much more capital at the beginning to get it going. And what we did there is basically engaging with a community of users, like building this community, working very closely with them, giving them scrappy, shitty prototypes and actually asking them for money to kind of finance the first series. Yep. But it really paid off. Yeah, that's an interesting one because indeed, yeah. I mean, how do you qualify yourself? Are you a hardware company or a software company? By now we are a software company, but initially, yeah. of course, like hardware was the central part. And so I would say at the beginning, yeah. that was the essential thing to test and figure out. Yeah, and it's also, of course, a reason to keep it super simple and yeah, yeah. to also be able to update the device yeah, well, through the cloud at the end. Yeah. Make that part not dependent on what device you really have. So when you started selling this, what did you learn there? Was there anything different than you expected? Actually, no. Well, it was better than expected. So it went quite viral very quickly. Yeah. And this was really good for us. At the same time, it was less good for us because we had to deal with all this growth. We kind of didn't talk to users as much as we should have still because we were still very early. Mm-hmm. And so we catched up on that, I would say, not too late, but very late again. And so we kind of lost momentum a little bit of like product-like growth. That's an interesting aspect. You said, so you launch and you lose track of users. And did the growth stall? Like, yeah, what, what was well, the aspect of the, the, the use was so important? Yeah, at the beginning, it went up quickly. But then at the end of the day, the best way to grow your product is through the product itself, through word of mouth. Yeah. And of course, like the tracker got this attention and it made the round very quickly. But to actually retain people, the product still needed way more love and care. So the short-term retention was great, but long-term retention, we didn't pay enough attention on it because we were all focused on growth and growth and growth. Yeah. And we didn't talk to users as much as we should have. And then suddenly like it started slowing down. And this was as well very tricky because it was not an immediate signal. It came very silently, slowly through. And then we started talking again more to users and then we fixed that too. But yeah. So what were their remarks? about like what did i miss what did they want different it was like deeper charts and analytics like uh-huh. features around that especially and then easier ways to fix recording because sometimes you still forget about flipping your tracker sure. or you need to add something manually or you didn't have the tracker with you so it's about just making the product work for not just the happy case but everything else and exactly. as well for the long-term jobs to be done yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can completely agree with that. Because yeah. sometimes you're just in such, such a flow and then something else happens and you get caught into a call and then the tracker is still running on the wrong project. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, I can imagine that. But it proves again that getting into markets and being ahead of the markets and driving strong growth, you need to always keep that connection going because before you know it, it's working against you. Yeah. The complacency kicks in. You think yeah. everything is right. My business and the fact that I've been doing this podcast now for three and a half years actually led to writing a book, The Remarkable Effect. So it's about the 10 traits of the define a remarkable software business or a remarkable tech business. Let's put it in the sort of the category that you're in. Yeah. What do you believe? I mean, if you look at it the five, six years that you've been running this, what do you believe are traits that are required to be and stay remarkable as a company? I think it's really the ability to read patterns in the market. And so it's like, of course, keeping an eye on the market and competitors, but actually not like following competitors. It's just really recognizing patterns, what's happening out there. Yeah. And obviously staying in touch with your users and recognizing patterns there, both in qualitative and quantitative ways. So looking at the data, but as well looking at the qualitative information you have. So always staying in touch like really talking to them, not just treating them as points of data. And then as well, recognizing patterns in the future, like where is the world going? So in our case, it's like the future of work and trying to recognize patterns there. And then delivering on those patterns in a very simple way. So trying to boil it down, really the essence and just pinpointing and solving this pinpoint. Yeah, well, let's see. You, you highlight a number of traits that I've indeed written about in my book. The pattern part to me is also kind of translated into the curiosity aspect of this. So yeah. always stay curious, not only yes. as a founder, but actually the whole team. And the other one is indeed like they focus on the essence. It's yeah. an essential one. Yeah. We far too easy try yeah. to kind of go broader, do a little bit more, yeah. where the power is really in keeping it simple and keeping it yeah towards where the real essence is. Interesting that you picked it up as well. Can you give examples of the qualitative things is indeed in the data and the quantitative is like talking to users and really have the interviews with them, right? Yeah. yeah. Or another thing, for example, what we do is like, because based on this learning, like on this painful learning that we had, I really tried to establish like more things around staying in touch with the customer. So we have like now many more automated surveys that we are sending to and we are reading every one of the replies. Yep. Then we have regular calls. And then, for example, at our all-hands meeting of Timeler, which involves the whole company, it always starts with a customer talk. So it's we invite one customer talking about their daily work life, what they do, what is their passion, what are their challenges, and how Timeler fits into that. And only then we actually start with our stuff. Super valuable. I like that idea to start every hands-on meeting with a customer and what they're going through. Because yeah. we often think that it's not my job, but it is. Yeah. No, it is. Um, and it's everyone's job. So as well, another job. thing we have is, for example, almost everyone does one day of support per month, huh? like no matter in which role you work. That's a good one as well. Then you can really get the empathy for what's really going on. Yes. And again, kind of kick the complacency out. I like that idea. So then going through the journey of the company and the growth that you've been on, what has been a big obstacle that you had to overcome on that journey? And how did you do that? Well, <laughs> it's hard to pick one here, but I would say one big obstacle besides the two that I already mentioned, which was like getting capital to get the company off the ground and yeah. then as well getting people into the habit of tracking time. I'd say the third one is really selling a startup 
which apparently works in a crowded market and has hardware to VCs. So getting investors for this type of company. And to be honest, like we've been fully distributed remote in 2016 already. And back then it was like, oh, you're working remote. No, that's never going to work. Like every <laughs> VC was like, ah, this is a red flag. Talking so, about reading the patterns. Yeah, but it was a very hard business to sell back then. I think even now when there is a hardware component, like VCs are way less scared of that with, for example, the whole scooter businesses, like the e-scooters or food delivery, like it's always hardware to some degree. But yeah, back then it was pretty challenging. I can imagine. So how did you overcome this? Like what trick did you use? Or what trick worked at the end? Two things worked. First of all, sharing my ambition and energy or three things, my ambition and energy. The second thing was showing the long-term vision that yes, there is hardware involved, but at the end of the day, it's software. So you could see it as hardware as a service instead of software as a service. And the third thing was sharing customer feedback. So really showing that customers love it. It has an impact. It has a meaningful impact that they use it daily. Like our customers use our product, like they touch it 10 to 15 times a day. Like there are not so many products you use that many times per day except like messaging services. True, yeah. So those kind of things really helped. There's an enormous stickiness factor to that, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the remote part was hard, but I was like, yeah, this is the future. This is the future. And no, it has become the future. (laughs) It has become the future. We're talking about that and also how it influenced your market. Like, have you seen any impact of the whole pandemic on this? Has it accelerated your business? Did you have to do something different? Yes, it has accelerated the business because with more people going home to work and staying at home to work, this blurred the the boundaries between private and work life. And suddenly it became very easy to always work. But at the same time, you never know if you have done your eight hours. So People were really looking for something that helps them to keep their balance, to know if they have done enough, because kind of at the end of the day, everyone was left with this feeling, have I done enough today or not? And because they kind of felt guilty, they did a little bit more because just to not feel guilty, just to be sure. But it could have, and almost always it's the case that people have already worked way enough hours. So, so who is driving people. it then? Is that it, the users that ask for it or is it maybe HR that's pushing it? It started with users driving it and now as well HR driving it because they see it as a problem as well because now the individual is in charge to manage their time and suddenly like they need tools for it or they need something to manage their time because we grew up never having learned to manage our time because first our parents, then our school, then our first work experiences, then yeah. in office, everything is kind of managed. And suddenly you are on your own, you're at home and you have to deal with all this complexity on your own and you have never acquired the knowledge to do so. Yeah, true. Yeah, looking at all of these experiences together then, like what has made you most proud? Is there a story of a customer where you said, you know, I can keep talking about that one? <laughs> there are many stories there that I really like and a short one is for example one person always got interrupted by colleagues like do you have a minute and something she did was like to have a side on the tracker which was completely red and written big capital letters distraction 
And always when someone came to her desk, she flipped it to that side. And like the colleagues were like realizing it. And suddenly like they started to interrupt her less. And that's a fantastic short hack and story how to deal with it. But for example, other stories, there are maybe two. Like for example, one company was like, they analyzed their different revenue streams and how much time they were spending on it. And they realized they are spending 30% of their time on a revenue stream that brings them 8% of their revenue. And like this imbalance, they solved it, but saying, okay, let's ditch that revenue stream and let's focus those 30% of our time on creating new business opportunities, which is exciting for the employees because it's something new and brings in more revenue as well. And the third story is, ADHD. So many people, more than we think of, and I didn't knew that too, suffer from ADHD. And the tracker really helps them to stay focused, to live a more rewarding and healthy work life. And it's like the deep emotional feedback we get from those people. It's just inspiring. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I have to start working with this thing myself. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So... Yeah, I mean, getting towards the bottom of the hour here. So from all the lessons learned, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained, and being a CEO in this case, what does it do and or don't that you would give to or advise other CEOs or aspiring CEOs to get going with things or to go after their dreams? The first part is really get going. I think that's the most important thing. And I think especially we in Europe, we are planning and thinking and like, We are planning way too much before we actually get going. So it's really get out there, talk to people, get it going. And then really figure out things, how to be frugal and get test things with little money. Because I think especially in in Central Europe, like Germany, Austria, like we have this culture of perfection and you always want to just show the nice stuff. But People just want to have their problem solved and they don't really care how crappy it is as long as it solves the problem, even just to 80%. And you can then iterate and move way faster. So, And then keeping curious, like as you say in your book, which I haven't read, but you told me just before, like about the curiosity, it's really like staying curious all the time and talking to users and staying in touch with them. Those are the things I would say. And the don't is don't fall too much in love with the solution, but fall in love with the problem. Yeah, because, that's what I hear a lot. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounds cheesy, but it's true. So, so true. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that advice. So what's next? So where do you envision that the company is uh, Timular is going to be in two years time? Well, in two years time, we will have evolved the product to actually have a broader value proposition to as well help you to gain more focus time, experience more focus time and and probably serve a couple millions of users, not just as today, hundred thousands of users. That's an interesting journey to be on. That's focus time. That's indeed so important because you only have 24 hours in a day and you never get the minutes back. No, and it's so hard to experience focus time. You have so many distractions and interruptions and... It's just hard yeah. to get one hour to think one thing through. Yeah, true. Well, I got the luxury of working and running my own business and I actually plan what I call not manager's time, but maker's time, really yeah. to get into a flow. 
that is where the magic really happens. You're completely right on that. Well, good luck on that journey. If there's anything you could ask the listeners or the community that's listening to this podcast, what would it be? How can they help you? What's your biggest time management problem? Because I think they're constantly changing and I always want to hear and learn more about those. So just tell me your biggest challenges you're experiencing and maybe I can give a suggestion. I can understand it better and maybe one day Timeler can solve them for you. Great question to ask. And it's, again, all about the customer. Where can people go and find out more about Timeler or to say hi to you? Yeah, so it's timeler.com. That's the website. Or they can reach out to me on MD, so Marta Berta at timeler.com. And yeah, I will always try to reply, not maybe immediately, but yeah, I will get back. Thank you very much. It was a fascinating call. I mean, I actually learned a couple of things and you got me, I mean, talking about trade number two of a remarkable software business, you created desire that I wanted to use the stuff for myself. <laughs> so it's, it's always a good thing. And I'm sure that we'll do the same thing for other people. So thanks for that. Thanks for yeah, the openness about how you run your business and the wisdom that you've gained. Yeah. Good luck with growing it. Yeah, thank you. And this ends my conversation with Manuel. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Manuel Brucci, founder and CEO of Timular. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.